Hey everybody, before we get started today, I would like to dedicate this show to the memory of two home group members who passed away this weekend, one of them being my sister Tina S., who passed away Thursday afternoon after a long battle with cancer, the second being Mike R., known to my home group as Brooklyn who suddenly passed away Saturday evening. May you both rest in peace, and I look forward to seeing you in that big meeting in the sky. God bless. This is the Living Clean Podcast. This podcast is not meant to replace meetings, sponsorship, step work, or service. This podcast is meant to be another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. Okay, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm Mason S. and I'm an addict. Back for another episode, episode number 46. 46 weeks into this thing, man. And tonight I got a very special guest, Mr. Ron H. How you doing, Ron? I'm doing very well, Mason. Really happy to be here. Man, thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, tonight we're going to continue talking about uh, the IPs. And tonight's topic is IP number 10, which is working the four step. Uh, but like always, before we get into that, I'm going to have a little discussion before then. I'm going to now do something that I don't usually do, and I'm going to turn it over to Ron for a minute. Yeah, I, I ain't no Mason, but uh, I, I'm going to do some questioning tonight. Uh, you know, I just want to say first that I, uh, I, I did a cross-country trip. The, uh, how long ago was that, Mason? That was... I don't, I don't, can't quite put probably, a date on it. A month, a couple months ago, probably two months. And yeah, and um, they always said, you know, come see us if you're ever in the neighborhood, kind of thing. And I thought, I wonder what they'd do if I actually did, because I, I really like these guys, and I liked what I was hearing about the the Hohenwald newcomers group, you know. So I thought, okay, it's not that far out of my way. I'm gonna do it. So I, I I found out I told Mason and uh, found out what and that he happened to actually be leading his home group that night. So it was kind of fun. I show up. We we did a I went to the Hohenwald newcomers group and uh, it was fantastic. It was everything that that they make it sound like. I mean, it was just a room was full. The energy was great. And we made a really good connection. I happened to be going to Nashville the next day to, for some stuff. And, and um, we decided to, uh, Mason, it turns out, was going to Nashville the next day because his sister had just checked into the hospital, uh, or just had just gotten diagnosed uh, with cancer. And so it was kind of a, um, you know, a, a solemn, emotional thing for him. And, and for me, it was, you know, uh, so we hung out anyway. Let's just put it that way and move on with the story. And um, and then when Mason asked me, uh, he called me the other day to do this episode, and he said, he said, you know, um, my sister lost her battle with cancer last night during the night, and and I've just, and you know I could tell he was just slightly overwhelmed, and he and he he said uh, I just haven't been able to kind of 
get it together for this upcoming episode. Would you be willing to do it again? And I said, oh, yeah, of course I would. You know, and we had a, a, a good little exchange about that. But I thought, how about we spend an episode, Mason, just talking about you for a change, kind of how you're doing and how you're doing with some of the recent stuff, because there's more to that story, too. So the first thing I want to ask you, Mason, is what's your clean date? Where do you live? And what's and can you give your home group a shout out? Sure will. My name is Mason S. And my clean date is January the 21st of 2018. <clears throat> Uh, so when this episode drops, if I don't use between then, I will celebrate six years on the day that it drops. And my home group All right. is the newcomers group of Hohenwald, Tennessee. All right. And that group meets every night of the week? <clears throat> yes, we meet every night of the week. Wednesdays, we meet at noon. So no seven o'clock meeting on noon or no seven o'clock meeting uh, on Wednesdays. Also, we just added a 11 o'clock, 11 p.m. candlelight meeting that will be on the first and third Fridays of every month. And I attended the first candlelight meeting that we had, and it was phenomenal. So mm. I'm looking forward to to attending more of those, even though it's a little... Uh, it's a little late, but it was it was spot on perfect. I loved it. Came at the right time. All right. Well, we are going to talk about the 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 IP working step for in Narcotics Anonymous. But like most episodes, by the way, on that trip that I took, I listened to just about all of them. <laughs> I I highly recommend it if you're on a road trip. It's just such a terrific set of of recordings and uh, so much good recovery there what i what i say about it and how i feel about it is that it it represents na as it is you know just us talking to each other about our program and you don't see a lot of that there's usually some other angle to i did a podcast some years ago and uh, all the episodes were highly produced and stuff and i i listened to this one i thought oh this this is just from the heart and really great but uh so we are going to talk about that pamphlet in this series of pamphlets but what what uh, i first wanted to do is is just see how you're doing mason let the let the listeners kind of know what's been going on w with you lately and i know there's the, your 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 sister and then there is also and i think it's probably time to to say something like what where travis go you know and and um, maybe i'll just let you tell that story too so how you doing, Mason, or with these big events in your life? Okay, so the first thing uh, I want to talk about is uh, uh, my sister. And like Ron was saying, uh, this past Thursday, which the, we're recording on Monday night, so the past Thursday afternoon, she lost her battle with cancer. Uh, Ron and I met. A couple of months ago, like he said, we were in Nashville, and a couple of weeks before that, I was, I was uh, getting married, and Tina, my sister, was at the wedding, and she was healthy as a horse. The only complaint that she had was she was having some dizzy spells uh, and some headaches, 
uh, roughly 48 hours after my wedding. She goes to the hospital and they notice that she had a spot on her brain. So that when Ron and I met, she was actually uh, up there to get a biopsy. And that's when we found out that it was non-small cell carcinoma. And what's interesting about that, Tina and I have different mothers. We have, we share the same father, but Tina had recently just got, uh, had just finished taking care of her own mother who passed away of the same illness. Our father passed away from the same illness. Uh, but anyways, uh, so, you know, rough less than three months later, you know, that she goes from being completely healthy and productive member of our home group and our family and, you know, and, you know, today now she's, uh, now she's completed her journey, you know, and it's, I'm going to tell I'm going to be honest with you. So she made it, she reminded me so much of my father. She made it so easy, uh, on the family and people who cared about her just because of how strong she was in her own faith. And, you know, she just, she did not complain or bicker or feel sorry for herself. And she was just so confident and, you know, everything was going to be all right, which really brought on a lot of peace for us. And, you know, one of the things that I said over when I was at the house, you know, when they brought her home, brought her to my aunt's house, which is a large house so that all of our family could come spend time with her. One of the things I'm grateful for is we, uh, we were all there together and because of my father and my sisters and the fact that we had all found in a, we were all there and able to do our own little bitty parts and help and take care of her. And it wasn't about us at all. You know, the selfishness that the disease likes to throw into situations like that. It was, well, I won't say completely absent, but dude, it was, it was pretty much non-existent because of the program that, you know, it's, not only saved my life, but my family's life. So, you know, I'm, I'm sad, uh, that she's gone. You know, she was 51. It's very young. Uh, but at the same time, man, I'm proud of the life that she lived and, uh, the life that she touched. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that Tina was my sister, you know, it's, uh, she left behind a legacy of, you know, helping broken people and, you know, loving the unlovable and, you know, just, she was a, she was a recovery warrior and she was a warrior herself. She overcome a lot in her life, you know, and, uh, like I said, I'm just damn proud to be her brother, you know, so, wow. yeah. Have you guys had the, the funeral already and all the family stuff that follows? Um, what we're going to do is a, she didn't want, she's not flashy at all. She couldn't stand the thought of a bunch of people um, standing over her body in a casket or something like that. So she decided to be uh, cremated and we we're going to have a celebration of life this coming weekend with just the people 
she only wanted people that she was close to and that she was in, uh, you know, hadn't been in contact with recently. Uh, you know, so she just wants a small gathering and we're going to celebrate her life because, you know, the sadness will slowly drip away. And I think it's just time now to celebrate the lot, the incredible life that she lived. And, uh, we're going to do that and love on her two boys, you know, um, her son, her oldest son is clean today because he found the rooms of NA because that's where his mama went to get clean. You know, it's just, it's incredible. Um, so wow. yeah, man. Uh, yeah, you're it, it, both your disease was a family disease as the saying goes. And it's so true. And your recovery has been a family recovery as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think yeah. I heard you say one time that your dad, you your dad died before you got clean, but he had already kind of laid the groundwork for you and sort of paved the way that allowed you to find recovery. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he uh, he passed away nine months before I got clean. I had wow. no intentions of ever doing anything any different than what I was doing. Uh, I had a front row seat to see him from active addiction to entering recovery. Um, well, what I call entering discovery because his life completely changed from the time he got his diagnosis. He lived a year after that, but a whole new, a whole new form of surrender that, you know, I've never seen before, uh, kind of, you know, he kind of surrendered in a way that I've not witnessed since, you know, when he found out he had his diagnosis and he took it to a whole new level. Like he quit, like he, well, I mean, we all like cuss like a sailor and he quit doing those things. He's always been a ladies man. You know, he could, he, he quit, you know, doing all that sort of thing, you know, all those sort of things. And, um, it's crazy. His life changed drastically, but I seen that play all the way out up until his last breath. Cause I was there at the hospital uh, with him when he took his last breath. And I watched the fellowship, just like all these strangers. I'm like, who are these people? They just kept coming in and like thanking him. And I'm like, who are these people? It's like a line. There's like 50 people that's been here today. I've never met before, but they act like they know my dad, <laughs> like they're, they're like, he's their best friend. Like I've, what is this? And then, you know, they start, well, those are people from N.A. that come to, to you know, share their appreciation for all that he'd done for them. And when I seen that, something changed in me. And I didn't know what it was that he had, but I knew I wanted it. Like, I, I had never seen a life affect me to the way of where I wanted to do something different. But that, that did. And I said, you know, that's what I want. You know, I didn't have any coping skills at the time. I wanted to quit using that day, but I couldn't deal with his death. You know, I was closer to my father than I was anybody. So, uh, you know, had I already been in the rooms, maybe I'd have been clean, but I had to go run out, you know. Uh, I, I went hard until the, you know, what they say, went at the end of the road. Uh, yeah. But that's – Well, my, my heart – go ahead, Mason. Oh, I was just saying that's because I didn't have any coping skills at that time, but 
Yeah. My heart just wells as I listen to you uh, say that because I got a, a son in recovery too, but I, I, what it makes me think of is how, how proud your dad would be if he could see you now, you know, what a, just how big of a miracle uh, it would be for him to see what your life has become. Why don't you talk a little bit as you ask the other listeners to do about um, how you found NA, you just kind of talked about that a bit, but like what was going on in your life when you, when you finally got here and decided to stay here? So the night that I got clean, uh, I believe it was early Sunday morning uh, or early Saturday morning, January the 21st of 18, I had uh, stolen a cell phone. I was completely homeless at this time, and it was it was cold. And I went to a place where they had uh, free Wi-Fi, which is at the local ballpark. So I went down there. I tried to contact everybody I could in my phone to try to get one more, and nobody answered. And I just happened to see my sister Stacy pop up on Facebook Messenger as active. And all I said was, hey. And she said, hey, back. And uh, I said, I'd like to talk to you. So I said, I don't, I have a truck, but I don't have any gas. Uh, I'd like to come over and talk to you for a little bit. And she sends this guy named Travis hmm. uh, over to give me some, with a gas can, put enough gas in my truck to be able to come over to her house and we started talking about what do what do you want to do you know and i said i think I want, uh, long story short i said i think i want to do two things first thing i said is i think i want to get baptized second thing i said is i think i want to do what dad did and uh so at two o'clock in the morning there was a we went to this treatment local treatment center and there was a guy in a mentor program down there that had been baptizing people. And so we picked him up. I got baptized two o'clock in the morning in the bathtub, uh, which may sound good, but it almost had a negative effect on me because I thought that if I did that, then the obsession and the, you know, the obsession to use would just be lifted away. And so when I came out of the water and, you know, I felt brand new for maybe a couple of hours. And then uh, that obsession kind of started to kick in. And I thought, you know what? I'm just like, you know, I really want this, but I feel like I'm so damn broke that, you know, maybe God can't even fix me, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so anyways, I ended up, long story short, I ended up walking into an NA meeting a few days later. And uh, that line still clean, still clean, barely. <laughs> I was barely hanging on. Um, the funny story is, I was actually planning on doing the marijuana maintenance program, and Stacy and Travis tricked me into going to an NA meeting that night. That was my first meeting since you know my dad had been alive. I went to some meetings like in we we. We worked on the road. I went to a meeting in Chicago one night. And I went to some meetings at different random places with him, um, mostly just to get him off of my back and 
to make it appear like I was in it, but I never heard anything that stuck out. You know, so that first meeting is, you know, Travis says that line all the time, and that's why it sticks out to me so much is that, you know, we've never seen a person who lives in Narcotics Anonymous program relapse. Yeah, and, and you know, that's just something simple that I could buy into. I uh, heard about steps and traditions and concepts, and I, was, I just want to feel better now, you know. I want something that I can hold on to now, and that little sentence kind of like, is what I held on to. And I was like, I'm going to put this to the test. And, you know, it's not letting me down yet. Um, Living the program to me is different thing. You know, it means a lot of different things on different days. And sometimes it's, you know, calling my sponsor and doing step work. And sometimes it's listening to a sponsee and going over their step work. Or sometimes it's an area meeting or sometimes it's a H and I meeting or, you know, sometimes it's just talking to a newcomer after the meeting and, saying you know don't pick up no matter what and we'll be here tomorrow and here's my number and whatever the program asks of me you know and that's that's never let me down up until this point so i might have got off in left field but no you went right where it was a that's a great story and i mean just the reality of that the reality of what you're saying there that uh, there's so little hope for for us to actually get clean you know uh and most people don't, you know, we, we sometimes don't uh, appreciate that fact enough. By far, by far, most people who are addicts uh, at that ho- kind of hopeless stage of this thing don't get clean. It, it, addiction kind of goes in one direction. And, and that when at the end of the road thing is very real. So it's powerful that, you know, the, th- the stuff that you were saying. I was thinking about that part in the basic text on the third tradition where it says, we can be prayed over, beat, beaten, locked yeah. up. Uh, what are all the all the various verbs there that we can we can that people try to do, but we will not stop using until we dis, until we want to stop using. And and I would add, even then, wanting to stop using is not enough either. That's the entree, you know. That's the that's that's what defines membership is the desire to stop using, but then membership is what actually does it you know the actually showing up and going to the meetings and connecting with the people and you said something about your sister that touched me uh and i was thinking about my own early recovery you you said she loved the unlovable and uh it that that hit home for me because i think in some ways when i was new in recovery i was the unlovable yeah uh and, you know, I was all up in my head and I was preachy and I, I was, uh, you know, I, I wanted to intellectualize the program and I knew more than everybody already. And um, I didn't stay clean. I couldn't stay clean on that program, you know, on the I already know everything program. Mm-hmm. I had there's another line in the basic text. When we were beaten, we became willing. And it's the disease that does the beating. You know, but, uh, then I I started to learn something about humility actually being open to the hell all right um hey so so the other before we go go farther there's something else i want to touch on um because i part of my story is that one particular um you know event talking about being baptized which is very specific to one kind of religion or whatever 
I always like, I think this is an important part of my story too, is that uh, I went through a kind of a spiritual transformation to where, you know, I know it talks about in the 11th step that sometimes we can find our way back to something that we used to, you know, be involved with before. But for me, the, the, the opposite was the case uh, to where I had to eliminate everything that I'd ever believed or, or, or been taught. And I just started with three basic principles, loving, caring, greater than me. And I'll always tell this in my story is today I know less about what God is uh, than I ever have, but it is working for me tremendously. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I always think that's an important part too, because, you know, I, that almost led me down, um, you know, led me down a dark path while in recovery, while clean. So, you know, I had to wipe my slate clean well, through some guidance of some people in the fellowship and my sponsor. And, you know, that's, that has been huge for me, you know, and those feelings that I felt, like I said, when I came out of that water, like I'm so broke that God can't feel like that's been alleviated because of that process. So I don't know. I just felt led to add that in there. Yeah. Yes. Well, we could go down a, a, a track there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing that it sparked in me is, is it, I have a, I always just refer to him as a, a spiritual teacher, a guy that I know uh, I has to actually work for him. Uh, and, but he's a, a really phenomenal spiritual teacher. And he, when he talks about God as mystery, you know, God is, you know, in, in one sense, you might say the unknowable. Uh, but he said, those of us who are in that relationship know that it's not that it's not unknowable. Right. It's endlessly knowable. It's what I, it's something like what the basic text says, you know, what we know is always subject to revision, especially what we know about a higher power, I think. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we think we're talking about a higher power, but we're talking about culture. You know, it's, a, it's, it's the package that our culture holds this higher power in. And, um, and that is, that is, that can be great. Uh, it, one, but when you start peeling away the layers of culture, you realize, no, it's that, it's that knowability of that mysterious dude, you know, exactly. power, whatever it is. Yeah, that, that is that's potent. Yeah, and then of course many people in NA uh, don't believe, and and uh, that is also uh, something that's kind of I find really really rich about NA is that there's plenty of people who think this way, plenty of people who think that way, and then they find for themselves, uh, you know, that question is what is my higher power, quote unquote, what is that power? And, you know, the power of love, the sort of collective power of love and wisdom in the program, whatever it is. And then a believer might say, and that's a conduit to the God that I believe in. And a non-believer might say, that's the power itself. Right. And does it matter at that point? We've learned to open our hearts to it and connect to it. And, and it, it liberates us. You know, and what I've found about the, uh, the people who don't particularly have, um, you know, uh, a higher power that, that, uh, you know, a more traditional higher power, I guess you would say, uh, what I found 
is that they're not particularly wrong uh, where I used to think like, well, if they'll just keep showing up, maybe they'll find something that works for them. Well, you know, maybe what works for them is, is sufficient uh, at this point. And, you know, it's not that their recovery is less than because of that. Uh, what they're doing is, is working and, Hey, it's helped me tremendously to be able to see it through that lens instead of going, well, you know, you're still missing something. Hopefully you'll come back and get it. But, you know, then I'm robbing myself of, of their experience and, and, and being able to grab onto things that, that they're able to use. And, and, you know, I, I miss out on that when I start thinking that, oh, well, I've got this traditional higher power. So this puts me here and maybe someday you'll get there, you know, if that makes any yeah. sense. It sure does. And in fact, um, <clears throat> I almost hesitate to say say an opinion on something like this, but uh, um, like when I read when I when I was new, we didn't have a basic text, right? You, we we covered that in my, our last interview, and uh, and so everybody's using the AA book. That's just reality, you know. It's just the way yeah. it was back then. Uh, and and that there's that chapter we agnostics in that book, which has some phenomenal stuff in it. Just terrific stuff in it and it has the overall tone that kind of you know eventually they'll get it you know uh, yeah. that's the way i read it anyway i could be wrong about that somebody could take issue with that but i think in na the culture in na is not eventually you'll get it like we do it's that you will find you know our basic text is that right to a god of your understanding is total and without any catches and and so the word God is this sort of metaphor uh, for this power, whatever it is, the power of love, the, the access to wisdom and intuition, the, the spiritual thing that occurs within us that the 12-step calls a spiritual awakening. Uh, but you're, you're right to understand that in the way that you understand that is total and without any catches. And that's deep in the NA culture. That, yeah. that uh, we take that one to the bank. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I sometimes look at like where you're from, you're kind of from the Bible Belt, you know, the, and so there, the culture itself is awash in sort of Christian, uh, a certain type of Christianity. And, and like I said, maybe that for a lot of people, I'm sure for a lot of people, that is the package within which they experience a higher power and, and take it all the way, which is wonderful. And then there is uh, other cultures and other settings and and people within your culture for whom that package isn't the one that they that they choose and it's and your right to that is total and without any catches and i love yeah. that to both As, you know we say regardless of religion or lack of religion sometimes i think we do better with lack of religion than we do with religion in other words so if somebody's got a little bit too religious a way of talking <laughs> They have a harder time in, in oh, the, than, the, than the stone cold atheist, you know. I, I agree completely. I agree completely. Yeah, that's uh, I, I see that all the time here. And you would think, being in the Bible Belt, that it the the you know the latter would be true, but it's it, it's not. It's uh, 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 the people who are, you know, like you just said, have a more religious dialect. Uh, they seem to they seem to be uh, unfairly treated at times you know so yeah all right 
Well, are we ready to turn a little, not to the pamphlet yet, because I'm not ready to turn, take the lens off of you and your life just yet, but the, the, the issue of, of, of um, Travis and uh, just sort of where are, where are you with all that? What, what happened there? Uh, let's talk about that. A little bit. Okay. Uh, as most of you know, who listen, uh, to the previous 40 something episodes or if you listened in the beginning and we kind of went through the journey of what happened well, one episode I came on and I said Travis had been in a near fatal accident and uh, you know he was going to have a long recovery and so throughout that process uh, you know Travis was in the hospital and a lot of pain his back was broken and several places and you know his leg was broke and different you know just a bad accident but I guess the best way to put it is the way that you know the basic text kind of describes it it's what sticks out to me is you know we don't know sometimes the difference between what's prescribed to a doctor and what we prescribe to ourselves and uh, I guess for lack of, you know, the words, I would just say that, you know, addiction has kind of gotten the best of Travis here lately. And he's on a path, hopefully, to find his way back. Um, and I shared a story. I shared the story about my sister. And I, and I got to be honest with everybody. And, I, and this may sound insane. But to me this situation has been even harder than uh the death of my sister just you know and i don't know the answers to why that is right now but it's just been such a strain and i guess because you don't want to see something happen to where if i mean if something happened to him we don't have the peace and you know, his family don't have the peace or his friends don't have the peace that Tina was able to give to us because of the way that she finished her life, not necessarily the way that she lived her whole life, but the way that she finished it, you know. And um, and the fact that we just grew up together in this thing, man. Like, when he came and get, I shared about him bringing me gas. He was 100. We, I think there's 120 days between our clean dates, you know. So we grew up in this thing together. We learned about, uh, you know, the literature. We studied the literature together. We studied the traditions together. You know, we were the first members in our in our group that really like, let's figure out what these traditions are and how to apply them in our group. And and we kind of took that on together. You know, so we done a, you know, we done service together, H and I together. Our first H and I meeting that I went that I participated in, it was Travis and myself, and you know, it's just. Um, it's been tough. And then there's the other factor that he is my brother-in-law who is married to my other sister. And, uh, she just lost a sister and now he's, uh, no longer in the home. So she feels like she's lost two people and it's, uh, it's been a challenge, you know, and look, I'm not giving up on him uh, by any means. I'm not giving up. And, you know, he's, uh, he's upset with me right now. Uh, 
and maybe I was in the wrong, but I just told him some things because I felt like I loved him enough to tell him that. And uh, we're not talking at this time, but I think deep down in his heart, he knows that when he's ready that, hey, I'll, I'm ready to suit up and, and do what I can, you know. And, uh, yeah, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, it's 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 been more difficult than – than any other situation we're currently dealing with right now, as crazy as that sounds. Well, the the level of intimacy that we experience with each other in NA and the, the closeness and the connection and the and the kind of ability to talk about anything and that it, it's really really hard in the situation you're in there, and also just the level of honesty we're approaching this with right now is probably not terribly normal but if this is sort of like this is the way any any guys are with each other this is this is it i i'm gonna say i love the guy i love him you know i've been listening to you guys you know he's your wing man he's off in the you know in the wings just a little bit and he he pipes up he's got his thing he's such a distinctive way of thinking and speaking and and um I my great regret when I came to see you was that I didn't get to meet him. I think he had a family obligation or something that day. But um, you know, I just uh, I I've seen it over and over and over and over in recovery that you know he he often said he said many times in on this podcast that he loves that quote of the basic text that uh, he's never seen we've never seen anybody. Uh, who works this program relapse. And I mean, there is a nice ring to that, but that's that statement is a little bit much in a way for me because I have seen that. And I've seen it almost exclusively around these med- medical situations. It's just like, man, we can't really, somehow we can't really predict just how wily this beast of addiction is when you feed it what it what it eats, you know, and it it's it starts to sneak back in there. And you can have somebody work in a program, living a program, and if you don't have the proper respect for that, it has the power to just overtake. And uh, you know, I it, when you told me about that this happened, my it, it was just heartbreaking for me because I thought there it is again. I don't ever want to see this this fucking disease sneak in there like that on anybody again. And you just know you will though, if you live this program that, uh, so there are, there are approaches to medication and recovery that, that work, but you know, and it does have something to do with being very open and candid with your sponsor with, you know, with um, not trying to play doctor, but at the same time, not assuming that the doctor understands everything about addiction. The doctor understands what he understands about his, his medical practice, and that's to be respected. And we understand something about what it's like to be an addict uh, who is now receiving some medication. And we really need to be in dialogue with each other about in a very honest way about every aspect of that when that's what's going on. So it's very sad. Travis, I, I don't know if Travis will hear this, but I'm going to say I love you, Travis. Like, I never met you, and I love you, and uh, I respect you, and I got no judgment, and it would be wonderful to see you uh, find your way back here. There's there's no shame. There's only uh, 
there's only um, a disease that we all have. And my brother, you know, I love you. Yeah. You know, this that situation can happen to any of us. And I, I think you hit on something that's uh, particularly important is we have um, actually some of the IPs that we'll cover later on in this kind of talk about, you know, in times of illness and, I think your uh, the home group meeting you had the other day, right? Like your y'all's home group, that was actually the discussion was uh, that pamphlet, I believe, if I remember correctly. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not remembering, but somebody was sharing on that, and they brought up a good point to where even though we don't have to wait until we get in times of illness to go ahead and prepare ourselves, and uh, just like with any other part of my life. Like if I feel like I'm going to be the one that's going to run that show and control it, I'm setting myself up for failure. No, I cannot Mm -hmm. can like, I, I can't manage a lot of things in my life, much less that, you know? So, um, yeah, I've with this situation, I'll tell you what it's done for me though, is, um, it has rekindled a fire inside of me. Uh, right here beside me, I'm actually just before we got on here, I was answering a few questions on my on my step work just because like, I, you know, I want to do everything that I can, not because I'm afraid of what happened to Travis is what can happen to me just because I want to give the big middle finger to the disease. Like Absolutely. I have no control over what it's going to do to other people. But what I can do is make sure not today for me it's not going to get me today and you know it likes to tell me yeah i got another one i got your friend you know but guess what disease you ain't getting me today and there's not shit you can do about it you know from now until i go to bed tonight you will not get me and uh you know so that's kind of rekindled my fire to do the things it's necessary to make sure that i don't use for another day and that's you know, that's, that's the way, that's the approach that I've kind of taken from it, you know, so. That's awesome. Do, do you see Game of Thrones? I do. Love Game of Thrones. Remember Sirio Farrell training Arya on sword, sword for dancing, his, her dance instructor? Yeah. He, he says, what do you say to death, Arya? Not today. Not today. <laughs> uh, yes. What do you say to the disease of addiction? Not today. Not today. Okay. And that fits right into our just for today. You know, that's what what we do. We just make sure whatever is going to happen there, it's not today. And it doesn't ever have to be that day. Absolutely. Okay. You you said you had a, a an actually a home group member uh <clears throat> overdose this week too absolutely yeah we did and uh yeah mike r known to my home group as brooklyn uh was found uh deceased yesterday in his room uh he had just picking up eight had just picked up 18 months his 18 month key tag earlier this week and uh what appears to be the first time that he used uh it took him out uh he works at a treatment or he worked at a treatment facility uh the story is that a client came to him and uh dropped off something to him 
and he told his girlfriend that he threw it away, but I don't think that he did. And I could just imagine with that, you know, he's kind of, he, they've stuck, not blaming anybody else, but he's been stuck on midnights for a long time. So he's kind of been disconnected from our group and a bunch of different, you know, the events that we go through, he's always working on weekends and working midnights, but I could just imagine with that sitting in my pocket in a room by myself, you know, and I've been disconnected, you know, it got loud, you know, it got loud and that became more than he could probably bear, man. And I, I just, I hate it. You know, that's just another situation. Yeah, that, that's a feeling so many of us share, like you just, you don't want to hate, you know, but you end up, I mean, if I hate anything, it's this disease, you know, the, the way that, uh, the lifestyle of, of NA recovery is we get to live these incredible highs and watch people who've come from in, these really low bottoms uh, just celebrate like, you know, celebrate big milestones of recovery and they've got their lives all working again and they, and they go all the way and you go to their funeral, they died, they died clean and it's this celebration of life. And we also get to have that other experience where, I mean, uh, we, we, experience up close and personal the death of people we love at an unreason in an unreasonable uh proportion in our lives because uh, this disease kills and uh you know that there's not a whole lot of room in some people's lives for error you know and for uh it it's right there in front of you and so you know, we, we see it work. We see this program work. We see people live live and die clean for decades. And we see what you just are going through right now in your home group. I think one of the ways I choose to look at it, too, is I, I in his situation is I look at the last 18 months, and the last 18 months of his life was really, really good. And he had one bad day. You know, he had one bad day. But to say that, you know, his life was, you know, incomplete or, or that he, you know, he failed. I just think about, you know, the last 18 months and, you know, other than one day, it was, uh, I think if you'd asked him a month ago, if something would have happened to him, he would have been okay with it because he was in such a good place. But, you know, the last 18 months were beautiful for him. He experienced something he'd never experienced before. Uh, getting clean getting his life back getting you know he in his whole adult life had never experienced anything like that so you know other than one bad day the last 18 months of his life were you know phenomenal wow one bad decision one bad impulsive decision and that can happen last time i yeah the last time i relapsed it was a it was a impulsive decision after being away from recovery, I, I didn't have enough. I had nine months and I, I was away from recovery for three weeks. I uh, went to a family wedding. I was deep in the using kind of world. And, but I was so sure every minute of that, that uh, I had found a way out. You know, I, I had found a lifestyle that fit me. I was never going to use again. And uh, in some ways, you know, there's this thing in AA where they say if you, you know, the, in the big book, it says something like to, to do an experiment on your first step, and not using that language, but to experiment about if you're really an alcoholic or not. 
just you know try some social drinking yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't recommend that experiment but i would say if you want to try an experiment in na to see if our first step powerless over our addiction is real just don't treat it don't go to meetings don't don't you know call your sponsors do avoid the 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 things that address addiction and watch the powerlessness over it rise again and i just like a very impulsive move i i used and you know when you that was 44 and a half years ago so uh if you put that in today's context if you use you're, you're the drugs that are out there right now, you know, the, that, that one impulsive moment could be your last, just like you said. You probably experienced this uh, when you first came in, but you know, for the longest, there was this mentality that like we would tell the newcomer, come in, sit down, shut the fuck up. If we want to know how to use, we'll ask you, but until then you need to listen you know, or if you want to go back out and get your first one, here's $20. You know, the first one's on me. I, I think the mindset and, 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 and that kind of mindset and, and, and that's had to change, uh, because the disease has adapted and it's, and it, and it's, um, it's progressed, you know, uh, entirely, not just within individuals, but it, it, it itself has progressed and, you know, the kind of chemicals that are out there now uh we don't get a bunch of chances you know i lost a nephew a year a, a little over a year ago my brother's son to to an overdose and he didn't get wow. he didn't do anything any different than i did you know he just didn't get as many chances as i did and uh thank god the stuff that's out there now <clears throat> was just coming around when i got clean and i never got my hands on it but people are not getting you know, 10, 15, 20 chances to try to get their life together. Like so many stories that we hear now, you know, uh, on this, the issue of, you know, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth, you know, and all that. If we want to know how to use, we'll ask you otherwise just shut the fuck up. Yeah. You know, uh, I have a theory, but some people are telling me now my theory is incorrect, but I have a theory that nobody ever says those things. <laughs> I have never heard anyone ever say those things. What I've heard is people, a lot of people saying, back in the day, they used to say those things. And, and I, I, guess, I, I guess maybe back in the day they did, but never where I was. Uh, they would say that back in the day, people said those things. <laughs> but they, I've never heard anybody be told to sit, shut the fuck up and sit down. And when we want to know how to use, we'll ask you. You know that I just that just w would be so cold and so un un NA like that I I wouldn't even recognize it as something to be said in a meeting. Well, there's one guy that sticks out, and uh, I know he's not going to listen to this. He's actually my grand sponsor, who is. Uh, who was very fond of those statements for a long time, but part of his story is he's that, that's when that's kind of where I got that is talking about changing that philosophy and, and, you know, he just seen too many people go out and it changed him, you know, it changed the way that he thought. And I mean, dude still got a tendency to, he'll call you down in a second in a meeting on some things and you just have to give it right back to him. You know, that's what I've learned. Yeah. You know, this is my and not, 
<laughs> and not everybody can. Not everybody, you know, some people come here already beaten down. And yeah. then, you know, there are certain personalities that you can do that sort of thing with and they can <clears throat> they can give it back to you. But there's other personalities that are just so sensitive and, uh, and you know, already full of self-hate and all that. Some, some old codger in the meeting is going to tell them to shut the fuck up because uh, they don't know nothing. Uh, you know, I, I guess I just grew up in a kinder, gentler NA all the way back, all the way back. I got here in 78 and I have never seen anything like that in an NA meeting. I know that others have. Okay. We actually have a topic today. We do. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. You asked me, to. is there anything you want to say to set that up with me or, or do you want me <clears> to just <throat> take it away? Well, what, what I would like to do, I guess, is um, the first thing that I would like to talk. Obviously, we're talking about IP number 10, working the fourth step, working step four in Narcotics Anonymous. I guess the first thing that I would I would like to hear from you is kind of like uh, the history of this, the um, IP and some of the things behind that and, you know, how this was adopted and stuff like that. Well, funny you should ask. I spent some time today in the rabbit hole on that question uh, because I remember I'll, 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 I I did get my facts kind of straight today. So I'll, when I throw out a date, it's fresh in my mind and research. But sometimes this history stuff, you can try to recount it and not get it exactly right. But uh, in, you know, the basic text is published in 1982 or it was approved at the conference in 1982. And there was some immediately major issues with the printer. We gave the printer a bunch of money and the book didn't get, and the book actually didn't become generally available for about a year. There was, there was I think, a special edition that came out early, earlier than that. Um, but the bottom line is it took about a year for the fellowship to get their hands on a book. So that was 83. At the 83 conference, a bunch of new pamphlets were, were, you know, most of the pamphlets that are on the table just in a big splash were, were um, approved in 1983. And, and uh, one of them was a four-step guide, working step four NNA or something like that. It was named, I think, slightly, a guide to the four-step inventory, I think was its name. And um, it was published with everything else and it went out and boom, it was in the on the literature racks, and immediately it started to stir a bunch of controversy. Uh, people, some people felt, and I think if I could just pinpoint what I think the controversy was, is there was a section in it where it listed a bunch of words that was around sexuality, and it listed a bunch of words, and it said, write about any of, write anything you have to say on any of these words. And they're, you know, like pretty extreme sexual words like animal sex and, uh, you know, um, incest and etc., uh, uh, etc. Et so everything, you know, sexual deviancy, but also words like homosexuality were in there. And so a lot of uh, gay members of the fellowship really took, took offense. And I can understand why, you know, that uh, here we're listing all these, you know, uh, sexually deviant uh, things and and homosexuality is listed in that list and it isn't and the list wasn't here's a list of deviants it was 
write about any of these things that you have something to say about in your story. And um, I thought it was excellent. But then again, I, you know, I, I don't have that, that issue where my own identity is, is being laid up against those other kind of deviancies. So let me just say, I understand what the objection was, but I personally thought it was the best four-step guide I had ever seen. Before that, all we had was the, the AA big book and, the, and the, the columns and all of that. And, you know, that was what people mostly did for their four-step. And so here was NA delivering its own four-step and it was great. It had these Achilles, this Achilles heel kind of, you know, and so then at the 1980, let's see, 1980, well, even at the 1983 conference, it was approved, but this objection was raised. And so they kind of, they, they pulled it off the, um, they pulled it from distribution and said, let's address this and let's put this question back to the fellowship. And they came up with a substitute motion that said, um, you know, uh, let's just change these things. Like there was, an, uh, there was a motion to add heterosexuality to the list. So in other words, to say any, anything that you have something to say about, write about that. So there was, a, but it, um, it got pulled and, it was, and the idea was send it back to the groups to, to fix. Well, there was a big objection to that. Letters, your region, the volunteer region wrote a, wrote a big letter to the, to, uh, the conference saying, we sent a delegate to that conference to approve that. And you have now in an action of the conference without consulting us, pulled it off the shelf. And several regions wrote, wrote like that. So it was a big controversy. And then the next year, the 1984 conference, it was, it was not approved. They, they said, let's, let's give the project back to the literature committee and let's write a four-step guide. And that was 1984. So people at that time would have been expecting at the 1985 conference, okay, here's our tweaked four-step four guide. But the one we're talking about today was approved in 1988. So that's the kind of thing that was going on back then. Everything was, was under such controversy. And we, we were learning and establishing ways of doing business. And everything was in this, this big cloud of controversy. So that's the first thing I want to say is that uh, that uh, and, and and one other thing ab about all of that is the basic text and all those pamphlets uh, that all happened eighty two eighty three and then there was a what I consider to be a ten year drought where we were trying so hard to figure out how we were going to replicate what had happened with the basic text how we were going to kind of institutionalize that. And we weren't getting good results. The first, the first drafts of it works how and why. Uh, the lit committee kept saying, we are not telling you we think we have a, a, a final draft that's, that's of a quality that we want you to approve it. And that went on. And then there was controversy about getting a, a professional writer and just on and on. And that, that went poorly. We can talk about that if you want. But the, the bottom line is, the one and only thing that was approved during that 10-year drought between the approval of the basic text and then the, the next kind of literature that started coming along just for today, it works how and why. Uh, the only thing was this four-step guide. And then, and, and I can tell you my own experiences, 
I had taken the prior one and I had created one, hearing the, hearing the diff difficulties that people had, I created one based on it and, and started using it with my sponsees and I still use it today. And when the, the, the new, uh, the one that we're about to talk about today came out, people would start trying to use it. And I don't know what other people's experience is, but I don't know very many people who use this four step guide because it's, it puts you in this, it, you start writing without a, somehow it creates this unfocused, big, long four step that it doesn't seem to have the kind of punch that you want. And it just admit it, you know, go right after the, the stuff in the four step. So all of that is background to say, we're going to talk about a pamphlet that uh, I have found to be the one thing that came out of that drought period. And it shows it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well the first thing i that, that comes to mind of course you answered my first question was was there a obviously there was an approval uh draft that was sent out to the groups and they were able to look at the four step and they eventually are, are are the guy that you're talking about and they eventually went back and said we would like to see these changes uh so my first question was going to be did you happen to keep that and, and and did you know of anybody using it but you've already answered that obviously they did uh so how long between when this came out and when the step working guide was be before they not when it, the step working guide came out but when did they start working on the step working guide well they started working on the step working guide in the early 90s it was so it would have been a couple of uh, uh, you know, I mean, the order of things was just for today, then it works how and why, and then the step working guide. So that was probably, you know, 93, was it? Or 92, 93, maybe even a little bit later. I think it was approved in 97, if I'm not mistaken. So let's, let's even bump that back. I don't have that information fresh in my mind about when they started on that project, but it would have been the mid-90s. I, I guess they approved it. I say that to say this: Did they see that this um, guide for working the four step that we needed was was the thinking that we needed something for every single step, like a guide to go through that based off of this four step that we're talking about today? I don't know if it was based off of that. Uh, you know, it's always been true that that. Whether or not you had a, a, a ethos about writing the steps, uh, there was even if even for people who say they didn't tend to write step one, step two, step three, uh, etc. They did. Everybody did say we write step four, though. Right. You know, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory. That's always been understood to be a written exercise, and step eight is also a written exercise. We made a list, you know, so, but uh, um, I think more and more and more in certain places around the fellowship, they were, they were doing a lot of writing on all of the steps. And so when they first started that project, they called it the step writing guide. And then eventually they changed it to the step working guide. But I, uh, and, but not everybody was very on board with that. Not everybody was like, we write all the steps. Certain parts of the fellowship, they assumed 
that everybody writes on the steps, but other parts of the fellowship, they say, no, we don't. Like, I don't think in California there was a lot of writing on all the steps. There wasn't where I got. Yeah, so I just from hearing from the other fellowship, a lot of times they will work step one, two, and three, like sometimes even in a day. I think even Bill talked about working all the steps within a short amount of time, maybe even a day. I don't, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head, so I don't want to direct quote that. Did that seem to be? Uh, did that seem to be the way that it was? You know, when you remember first working the steps, that you kind of sit down and we're going to talk about one, two, and three today, and then you can start riding on the fourth step. It was it was a bit like that. It was a bit like that. Uh, my first sponsor, um, you know, like I, I mentioned, kind of, I was a, I was sort of a philosophical guy. I was a college student. Uh, you know, I, uh, my first sponsor, at one point, he he got together with me. A, you know, we talked about the first three steps. He was an AA guy, and he said to me, like I don't know, probably a month in, I probably had thirty days. Uh, clean at the time I stumbled on my words there because in that program, they don't call it that, but um, he, uh, he, he said to me, okay, listen, he said, I think I've had, uh, no, here we go. I said, nobody's ever been that rude, but here's, here we go. He said, I've probably, I've probably had enough of listening to your philosophical bullshit. Now he said, I want to meet with you next week and I want you to have your fourth step done. And we're going to do a fifth step. And if you don't, you can get another sponsor. <laughs> oh, he yeah. was unkind. And um, of course, by by a week later, I had a new sponsor. So yeah. it, it's well known that we have the step working guide, but there are many forms of step working guides that are not approved that are, you know, all around. And I know uh, one region has been trying to get a step one of their step working guide to prove approved for a long time uh but I, I i just want to ask you when do you remember the first kind of step working guides that address more than just the first step kind of uh starting to surface and make their way throughout the fellowship for me it was when this one was approved i i didn't i didn't have any contact with other ones a lot of us had little things like I, I had little things that I would put together that I would give to a sponsee to help them focus on, on a step or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything like this. It wasn't about writing the steps. So the, I'm sure that you, you're talking, if you were talking to someone else from a different region of the country, you might get a, a much more fulsome answer, but I did not see anything. I've never uh, seen step writing guides until these ones were approved. To quote from this thing we're, we're talking about today, this IP number 10, there are many methods of writing inventories and no one way is right for everyone. This guide represents the experiences, strengths, and hopes of many addicts who have found recovery in Narcotics Anonymous. Regardless of the method, our fourth step will be successful if we are searching and fearless. So this thing wasn't presenting itself as the one and only and correct way to work the step either. So the reason why I bring up the history of kind of like step working guides is because, uh, kind of like in my sponsorship family or whatever. And I know that's also a controversial topic about sponsorship. Family, but that's a discussion for another day. 
Anyways, the people in my sponsorship family used a step working guy called Back to the Basics. Are you familiar with Back to the Basics? I think so. It I, I've been I've been given one recently, and I look, read it over, and it's pretty good. I liked it. It it um, is it the one that has you uh, go to the dictionary first and look up all the words of the steps, and, and then you, you go know, and there's several by sentence in the basic text. Okay. Yeah, and so well, we might be yeah. talking about two slight two different ones, but yes, there are there are those that get circulated around the fellowship and. And different people use different actually ones. well you can't see it because of that but i actually got it pulled up here and in the first sentence says or there's a quote in there that says i believe that we as a fellowship are guided by a greater consciousness a loving and caring god and that's a quote from greg p and it also goes on to say that this document was created by greg pierce i, I was just wondering do you know if that happens to be true or not or have you i ever do heard not that? i know I know for sure it's not the one that I recently saw, though, right. because that one was, I know who that one was created by, and it was some people in California. I don't know how I got off into step working guides, but. <laughs> well, it's an interesting point, though, because the, the, one of the, okay, I'll tell you this story too that in 1997, I was the RD of my region, and I was at, and one of the things on the agenda of the conference was the approval of the step working guides. And I, I had looked them over and I thought, you know, this looks really good, uh, but I'm not so sure that I want to see us go to a, uh, it would be a culture change for NA uh, to go to this thing where we now have the approved and correct way of working the steps when we have, when at, before that we had such creativity uh, that it, it, you know, sponsors brought with them kind of like their approach to working the steps and as opposed to the approach to working the steps. And I found in that a real dynamic, uh, a real living dynamic in the way that we work the steps together. And I felt uh, I would hate to see that. Um, I'd hate to see us lose that. But in fact, I was the RD. I even shared that a little bit at the, at some of the, workshops uh, and my region sent me to the conference with a very clear instructions we are for it so i went to the conference kept my mouth shut and voted for it but um but and, and i've since thought okay it's been a phenomenal addition to our fellowship it's wonderful and i don't think it has in most places taken on that character where this is now the correct and only way to work the steps in some places i think it has yeah. in other places that that we haven't lost that kind of like well, my sponsor has me work the steps this way, uh, quality, and I, I personally like that. Yeah, and it, it goes back to what you were talking about. You know, there's no particular right or wrong way. Uh, uh, I, I know that I can't remember the specific region. I can't remember if it's Brazil or, or Mexico. I know they are constantly trying to get uh, – or it's been in the car – you know, a few times, uh, trying to get their step working guide approved. And, and I, I can see where that can be frustrating, you know, because in that region, that is the step working guide. And for us to say as a fellowship that no, we only have one step working guide. That's a, this is the step working guide. I could see where that could, could be frustrating to them. And, um, you know, I, 
I don't see those people uh, changing the way that they do things. And I don't know what the solution is. If we as a fellowship should approve that, or if that ever going, if that's ever going to happen. Uh, but I guess I say that to say that, you know, it, it, pretty much everywhere that you see, there's only one wrong way to work the steps, and that's just not to work them at all. Yeah, and. Well, there's a there's a long history of an issue there that you just raised, which is people come to the conference sometimes with a completed uh, manuscript of something that they would like to see approved. And what they're up against there is an entire policy and, and procedure and long history of how we write literature in Narcotics Anonymous right. and receiving it receiving a completed manuscript and putting it up for approval is not it, you know? So uh, that uh, that started with Living Clean when they brought a, in 1983, yeah. there was a, a draft of Living Clean that did not get approved. And, and did, not only did it not get approved, it didn't really even get considered because that's not how we do literature. And uh, I think uh, a region in Texas brought a, a traditions a guide one time to the conference and they really wanted to see that get approved and it just it was up against that very same thing that's not how we do it you can submit that as input we then create the whole process and we write a traditions book but it may not in the end of that process look like the one you submitted and that's actually what happened and that's what happened with the living clean if i remember correctly is the yes. the final uh draft looked nothing like what was submitted back in 1983 uh that's right it was input and i did actually speak to people who were worked on the living clean work group and they did um give it its respect you know so it wasn't like it it had no role it was input just yeah. like just like they said it would be but it uh it doesn't in the end there was a living clean was probably received more input than any uh, was more collaboratively written than any project in NA history. I I say, w realizing I would be contradicted by some who would say that the basic text is that. And that's true, too. I mean, that was just absolutely miraculous, uh, what happened there with the basic text. And the story is phenomenal. And the book we got out of it is phenomenal. Um, but many, many, many more people uh, submitted stuff and worked on Living Clean, including... It was the first time we ever received input not in English and had to have the, in, the, the input translated in order to factor it in. And so it was, uh, it was a highly collaborative project. Yeah, so if you go from that aspect, it was more collaborated on than even the basic text because we were mostly just in the U.S. around that time. You know, so to have... True, and the technology was so different. I mean, you, you actually had to... Like I would have loved to have worked on the basic text. I was a young English major. I had some a little bit of time clean. Uh, I I would have loved to have gone and given um, my service to that project. But I was also, you know, the proverbial starving student and uh, didn't and uh, holding down a job. And I couldn't travel and go to a uh, a workshop like that for a week in order to to work on a project like that it just wasn't in my budget or my lifestyle uh, but i could have now i could have worked on living clean in fact i did you know as others did i reviewed and sent input in and that sort of stuff because it's you can do that in the modern technology environment 
All right, so let's um, we've kind of you know talked uh, uh around you know what brought this in and you know how it kind of got approved, but let, let's take a look at it because realistically, if you dive into this thing, there's some really good stuff, and I guess the first the first thing that kind of sticks out to me is it uses the analogy when it talks about and i may jump farther ahead than you'd like but i'm i'm looking at searching and fearless and it uses the analogy that i just love that says we search within as if we as if entering a dark house with a single candle to guide us we move ahead despite our fear our resistance to the unknown we need to become willing to Illuminate every corner of every room of our minds as if our life depends on it because they do. I just love that uh, analogy. You know, that is, I, I never looked at it that I do way. Too. I love it too. And I I, uh, I used it today. I, I met with a sponsee today. And we were having this conversation about whether or not now was the right moment to work his four step because of all these other things going on, you know, and, and I joked with him just like my tone of voice did there a little bit, but I, you know, accepted, okay, let's, uh, we'll do it uh, a little bit later, but I used the, the metaphor. Maybe right now isn't the moment to walk in that dark room with that candle, but that day is coming. You know? <laughs> so I, I noticed in the very beginning, it focuses on sponsorship. It says it's very important to do this with a sponsor. And so does the step working guide. That, uh, they both really start with that emphasis. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm probably, it may seem like I'm making too many references back to AA, but it's important to remember that this was, that the AA way of doing it was all we had before this. Right. And, um, and one of the things that that is part of kind of the AA culture, it's in the big book and stuff, is you do your fourth step with somebody. It might be a pastor. It might be your sponsor. You don't see that in NA. Uh, and you don't see that if I'm your sponsor, because you might do that with a pastor if you so choose. I grew up Catholic. You might you might go to confession. You know, that's that's all good and well. But the the emphasis on the fourth and fifth step being part of the bonding and the and the, the development of the sponsor sponsee relationship is really part and parcel of the NA culture and this thing really emphasizes that. Yeah, and and to speak to that, th- that is also what's going to help you outside of the sponsor sponsee relationship is hopefully that you can learn to be uh, well, you can learn to build an intimate relationship just like you did. Like for me, I know my, my sponsor was the first intimate, real intimate relationship that I probably ever had. And I use a lot of those things as far as like letting down some of the walls and knowing which ones to let down, uh, and how slowly to let those down. It, I, it, my relationship with my sponsor is, and because of the fourth and fifth and, you know, throughout the process of all 12, has helped me tremendously like in my marriage and my work relationships and a bunch of different relationships you know so um when i when i yeah when i think about that relationship that that you build with your sponsor and and thinking about how they used to say you know i've heard it before you can do this with a priest or you can do but to me like the four steps not a confession 
that's not exactly what it's there for. Like you may be confessing some things that you've never talked with people, but that's not the idea. It's not to cleanse your soul. It's like, we're looking at how do we not repeat this process? Like, let's get the full picture yeah. of who we are. And that's part of it. My sponsor didn't, didn't tell me how many hail Mary's to say to cleanse my soul. after <laughs> I was done. With no doubt. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so that uh, that's a big part of it, that uh, that sponsorship thing. And I, I love seeing that because I'm kind of a gentle guy when it comes to sponsorship. I'll, I'll wait you out. I, I'm not going to come, you know, beat you up about anything. But there's a few things I'm kind of hardcore about. And one of them is um, the fourth. If, if you don't want to do your fifth step with me, then you absolutely need to find yourself a sponsor who you can trust enough to do that. Yeah. If I'm not it, then that's, that's good information, but uh, that's what you need to do. Uh, I, the, I believe that's a, that's critical to the sponsor sponsee relationship. Well, that's also key to you being able to help the sponsee later on, like with eight and nine and through that process, if you don't have the information that you shared with each other in four and five, like how do you, guide them properly through that process too is what sticks out to me and there's one other statement in there that that gets at one of those uh little i don't want to i don't even want to call it controversies but different ways that different people think of and do these things and it says outright a flat out statement this won't be the last inventory that we write and um there are some people who see the steps as a one and done kind of thing you do you if you do them thorough enough, then you only have to do them once, and then 10, 11, and 12 contain all the principles that go before them. And I don't have a strong objection to that, but that but doing 10, 11, and 12 at that level of thoroughness, uh, well, I've not seen it. I've not seen. Uh, I've not done it. I've not seen it. Right. Uh, but it. Um, the the other way of looking at the steps is yes, I go one through. 12, I do 10, 11, and 12, and I, I, I add that to my discipline of life, some um, honest kind of inventory of myself, admitting where I'm wrong, having a spiritual practice of some kind that comports with my belief system, and then carrying this message to others and practicing these principles in all our affairs. Then you do that, and at some point it's, it wears a little thin, and you realize, you know what? I need to I need to go back and do all 12 again starting and then you you do it again. And that's kind of what the NA culture supports. We we see and this this uh, we seem to just do it that way and this pamphlet mentions that as well. Yeah, like I know from the step working guide as we've been called the step working guide. <laughs> uh it references you know, this may not be the first time you're, or this may be not be the first time. This may be the second or third time that you're going through this. Uh, it references that many times and it doesn't even act like what you just shared was an option to only go through it once. It's, it's expecting you to come back and this section is now going to apply to you because this is the second or third time that you've come through here. Um, and there's nothing that I've really seen throughout any of our literature that would suggest that only doing the, the steps one time is the way to do it. But when it says there is no right or wrong way, 
the only way is not to do them. Uh, I, I've just seen well, maybe only doing them once eventually times out and it's not to do them is what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Man, I've just seen a bunch of people that, you know, they found themselves back out there that could have benefited from another round, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that might be another one of those contrasts between the culture of AA and the culture of NA. I think, you know, I'm not saying that they only do them once, but I'm saying that that is a more common, just like you said about the do it, do it real fast and be done kind of thing. Uh, doing the steps once uh, and then maintaining it with 10, 11, 12 is something you, I think, hear in that culture more than you, you don't, like you said, you don't really hear that in the NA culture. Yeah. And, you know, spending time on steps like that, that's something that's kind of, uh, you know, unique to NA. Like, like somebody saying, I want you to sit on this six step. I want you to sit on this step for a little bit, process it. Like, I, like I'm not familiar with the other fellowship doing that either. You know, like it's a, let's get on, let's get with it to where, you know, we, we take our time through this thing. Yeah. In fact, I, the way I kind of see that is there's two tracks that you're working the steps on or that, that are, that are at play when you're working the steps. One is sort of the developmental track. I am developing down I'm, the steps kind of de describe and and elicit a sort of developmental process, and uh, and so that's one way to say where am I at in the steps. Well, the, that can only be answered by saying where am I at developmentally. Is this really what's being in front of me? Do I, you know, is the sixth step, the second step, really what's in front of me? Is the third step really what's starting to work me, as we say? But then there's another um, track, which is what is the task that's been assigned. What is the sequence of tasks that I'm working? And I try to not ever let the developmental track. Uh, I, when I'm working with the sponsee, I, I want to make sure I don't take my eye off of the developmental track and start giving him tasks that are not a fit for where he actually is. Yeah. So sometimes that takes some time to, to nudge someone down a developmental track and then say, okay, I think this, I think the sixth, can you see how the sixth step, how you are, sick and fucking tired of that character defect you know that's another way you know i can't stand myself right now the way i'm I keep, i'm being that's another way of saying we were entirely ready to have god remove all these defects of character so it, yeah you want to pay attention to the developmental track in addition to the task the sequence of tasks right there's one more thing that jumped out at me it says there's a reminder in there, or there is a reminder in this is that this is your inventory, not anyone else's. And it, it, it says to make sure, and it, it made me, you know, somebody pointed out to me, you know, that col columnar approach that AA uses that we were sort of using before this thing. It starts out by saying, list your resentments. And so that's easy for an addict. Who pisses me off, you know? Uh, you start writing them and you can get up a little head of steam, you know. And then the next thing that, that says, okay, what pisses you off about that? In other words, what, you know, describe what the, you know, what the nature of the resentment is. Why do you resent them? And then you got a little head of steam. And then it starts saying, okay, how, what is this affecting you? And then it goes to the next phase, which is what's my, you know, what are the defects of character that are at play in me in, in holding this resentment? And what's my part in this you know, and so in a way, it, it, it takes your head of steam by saying what who who pisses me off and why they piss me off. 
and it turns it back on you. It's kind of a brilliant yeah. uh, approach. In a, but this one says, um, no, no, don't be talking about why you resent those motherfuckers. <laughs> this is your inventory. Yeah. Oh, uh, another part that kind of sticks out to me too and is the uh, section to where it's kind of talking about the morals and values. And uh, yes, that jumped out at me too. Yeah, and and it's something that my sponsor did with me separate from the way that we worked the steps is one thing when I got done with it, he's he had me uh list uh 10 morals and values that were really important to me that uh he said it doesn't have to be what society thinks or what i think or just what is really important what allows you to sleep well at night knowing that you know you you you've practiced these in your life so he had me do that and uh it's been one of the most beneficial things that 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 i've done through the steps because it's i can reference those 10 morals and values and a lot of decisions are things that i'm faced with and as long as the decision doesn't contradict any of those, you know, that that's, that's, I guess I'm trying to say that's what I use in my decision-making process is that's kind of like my boundaries with life to where I won't be swayed. Um, even though that I fall short and I do allow that line to be crossed, but you know, that's how I sleep well at night. That's how I feel good about myself. That's where self-esteem comes from. It's like, living by those things that we established right after I got done writing my four step, those morals and values. Yeah. I, that same, that that's good. And that same thing jumped out at me too, that uh, the sensitivity around the, the issue moral in, in uh, among addicts, among, you know, it's coming at a it, morals are something that are established by them you know, the, the religious or spiritual authorities that yeah. then get imposed upon me. And I and if I don't if I don't know how to act their way, then I, I'm immoral and, uh, you know, blah, blah. That I'm not talking about how I'm saying it really is. I'm saying how the addict mind starts to process that. Oh, it talks and, about it in here. Yeah. And that's and so that's why I found that to be kind of a powerful because it's saying, uh, here's a quote. It says, we may choose to define good. So if, if you're dealing with the word moral as the thing about good and bad, is there good and bad? Is there right and wrong? We might choose to define good as that which has the power to bring out the best in us and affirm our recovery. And bad as that which has the power to bring out the worst in us and works against us in our recovery. So, you know, that's a good, simple definition of, of morality in a way. And what it does is it, is it, is it takes it from an external thing, you know, these are the rules and I'm not supposed to break them, to this is what I make of morality. This is what I, you know, what I can see for myself as good. And this whole issue of kind of values clarification and, and um, discerning, learning some discernment for myself about what, what kind of moral compass I actually have or could have and begin to develop as a function of working the steps. This this kind of starts to walk us down that track of bringing that question internal. And you hear that about the steps. They're an inside job. And there's a, there's a, a cliche in New Mexico. I, I, I know it's a New Mexico thing because I know who kind of used to be the guy who carried it around all the time. And we always quoted him, but it's, it's an inside job, Holmes. And we all, 
we all say that, you know, we say that when we're talking about the steps, it's an inside job, Holmes. So you can almost can't say it's an inside job without Holmes. Uh, oh, one more thing I want to really touch on too is, is I guess, you know, there's a, a lot's made up of, or not necessarily made up, but there's a lot that comes with the four step that, that, that people get these ideas and, uh, you know, they, they get these, this fear that kind of sets in way before they get to the process that, that really, uh, kind of ceases their, their recovery altogether in some aspects to where they say, you know, I don't think I can ever tell somebody some of these things that I'm dealing with. So they get that idea that that's what the four step is. And then they just say, well, if I'm not going to work a four, why should I work any of the other ones? You know, but I, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess the question was going to be, has the four step always been looked at as this big, big, bad booger bear that people make it out to be ever since you can remember being, um, around and, and recovery or is this something that over time people have made into being something bigger than what it actually is? It's been a big, bad booger bear. No question about it. Uh, I've never heard it called that exactly, but yes, it's been that. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I think of my first fourth step. The when I when I first finally got the, you know, it was in this spirit of people do things sometimes that are creative to try to work with the sponsee where they are, not necessarily by some rote kind of set of guidelines or whatever. And he said, okay, you know, you really need to get some writing done. Because you're just so, you know, basically, I don't know if he said these words, but you're just so squirrely and you're just avoiding. And, you know, it's that's how we get with the fourth step a lot of times. It just makes us squirm. I'm going to tell you about that. I'm going to tell you about what I did then. You start thinking about all the shit that you wouldn't want to tell somebody. And I think that's a big, bad booger bear just by definition. And and so he said, OK, he, he used the the seven deadly sins. He, uh, he said, okay, and they're, you know, pride, anger, lust, gluttony, greed, envy, sloth, right? So he said, let's just, let's just borrow from that and, and say those are, you could call those categories of character defect, if you want to use program language. Yeah. And he said, just write one at the top of the page and then just write everything. You just look at the word, uh, look it up, talk to me if you want to get a good definition of it, and then just start writing. Pride, you know, so arrogance, uh, you know, self-centeredness, uh, over self-involvement, icky, you know, you just the way when I started even thinking about that, about, okay, write everything about that anger. Uh oh, how many times did I call my girlfriend this or that or what, you know, the, you know, the, the that, that one time I, I hit somebody or that I shouldn't have and, blah, you know, so, you know, right down the list, get to lust. And now who wants to write about all those kind of sexual uh, secrets and, and fears and, you know, all of that stuff. And so, yeah. Um, it, but I, I remember I was working in a gas station at the time and I, I was all by myself in the gas station waiting for the next car to drive. It was back in the full service days. And I had my hand over the sheet of paper so nobody could see it, even though I was all alone in the room writing and just in a sweat, you know, like, uh, 
I was admitting shit that I wasn't going to take to my grave, you know? And so there's just something fundamentally daunting about doing that. Right. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but one thing that a lot of people don't think about until I know for me, I didn't think about it until I read it as one of the sections was I didn't know that we were then going to turn around and talk about assets. Like, what do you mean? Asset? Like I, you're saying that I, I did good things too, that there's good, there's a good side to me. Like that threw me for such a loop and it was such a, a relief to be, a, it, and for me, it was harder. It was a lot harder to write. Like all that other stuff kind of flowed. The only problem was, is I, I was contemplating, am I going to write this down or not? Uh, but what I needed to write was, I didn't have to think hard on, but when I got to assets, man, that kind of just like stumbled me up or I got, you know, I got stuck there thinking, Oh man. So I really had to really look deep inside and, and, and try to discover what was good about me. Cause I never thought of myself in those terms, you know? And, uh, it was really relieving to be able to see the full picture, I guess. And I can't do that without, um, talking about, the assets and and i like how this uh god has the assets section where it lists willingness uh, god awareness courage kindness being clean faith patience sharing caring love honesty acceptance generosity forgiveness gratitude open-mindedness positive action trust and tolerance and then it has you write one paragraph about each of the assets listed in the section in section seven above so you know like you were talking about your sponsor had you write about the seven deadly sins or categorize, categorize it that way. This, I like the way that this uh, kind of gives you the categories to look at your assets. Cause I really struggled to think about, well, in what terms are they saying that I have assets? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's not broken down like this in the step working guide that I use. So I really like that part. You know, I can look at, times where I've been willing or had God awareness or courage and so on and so forth. I just, I, I really like that section and how they put that together. Yeah, that's great. And you, have you done that as part of your inventory? You did write those assets. I wrote the assets, uh, how they were. I, the first time I went through the steps I did though, I did, I used the step working guide and there's, let's see, I'm looking at here. There's seven questions kind of talks about what qualities and when have I shown concern for myself and others and which spiritual pr principles am I practicing in my life? And, you know, I didn't really, it, it's not categorized like this. Like I didn't get to look and say, when have I been willing and when have I been courageous? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when have I been generous and when did I practice forgiveness? And, you know, that, that, that's something I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing um, in the future, you know, is breaking each of those categories down and seeing what my life looks like today under each of those. Cause Hey, I, I can still slip back to that same mindset of, <laughs> I don't do much good. I do a lot of bad, but I don't do much good. you know, not that that's true, but, and I, I think that just goes back to the point we were talking about earlier about why it's important that we continue to do inventories you know, because sometimes I need to look as, at the good as much as I do the bad and uh, 
realize that you know i'm 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 human i'm a complete human i I make a lot of mistakes and i do a lot of things good so but yeah yeah i think you i think you've articulated well what what i've heard a lot from na members i i kind of personally i'm a little more old school where um you know the 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 inventory is an inventory of um well like if i if i can since i've already um said so many aa things in this i'll go to, i'll do one more just one more okay. it says uh in the, uh, leading up to the fourth step in the big book it says this phrase it says being convinced that self uh, um uh, self in various forms was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations, and so that that's the inventory. We're taking an inventory of the of the of what had defeated us, you know. And uh, that's just sort of the way I've always approached it. But I, I hear what you're saying and what a lot of people say in NA that that you know I beat myself up long enough. I mean, I, if if all this is is an exercise in me beating myself up some more it feeds something in me that needs to be addressed. It, it doesn't, it, it needs to be offset by me slowing down and saying, Hey, you know, take a three dimensional look at myself and I am not just what has defeated me. The, a, a similar conversation is, is should I put myself on the eighth step list? And a lot of people say you should put yourself at the top of that list. Yeah. And, and I'm sort of old school there too, where I say, I don't object to that. Somebody puts themselves on the eight step list. That's fine. And we deal with, we talk about it, but I kind of say the amends to myself is the entire process itself. <clears throat> All everything that I'm yeah. doing is the amend to myself. Uh, and I don't need to single myself out and figure out, but then again, I don't, I don't, you know, when I hear people share about this, I really listen. And I hear some people say, that was the most powerful part of the amends process was realizing I need to make needed to make amends to myself. So uh, there's different, again, different, um, different histories that we have and different uh, approaches that different people take and viva la difference. You know? And how we say it in the South, different strokes for different folks, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I said it the New Mexico way either. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah. And, and I, uh, let me make an AA reference since since you've done it. I don't want you to be the only one. Uh, one of the guys that I learned a, probably the most I've ever learned about any of the steps, I love the way that he simplifies it because uh, I'm really a simple-minded kind of guy anyway. Uh, that would be Father Martin, Father Joseph Martin. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but – I am. Uh, man. He talks, he gives the analogy of working the four step is kind of like when you buy a, a rental property and you go in and you're going to inventory what's in that in, in, um, rental property. You're going to go and look and say, okay, the kitchen, the floor in the kitchen is really strong, but the floor in the bathroom, it needs to be replaced. So you're going to go in and see what's good, what's bad, what needs to be fixed and what we need to capitalize on, you know, so that's kind of where I got the idea of, you know, it's important to get the full picture, not just, yeah. not just the bad, but also need to know that, uh, I'm doing this work to eliminate the bad, to capitalize on what I can be really good at, 
you know, and then I, I think it was after the four step that I changed careers because I, I seen and started to believe that I had some abilities that I wasn't uh, capitalizing on in my life. Um, you know, and that, and that's just because of fear and doubt and insecurity and all those things. So, you know, that, that's probably what took so long to have this podcast is I'm still overwhelmed with fear and insecurity. And, and I still hate the way my voice sounds when I hear it back over the tape, <laughs> you know, but um, I, know, I know it does a lot of good, too. And if it don't help anybody, it helps me. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I and what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I hear other people share it. And, you know, it's I, I sort of was brought up on a different track. And uh, but, you know, I, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Isn't isn't it great to be a part of a program where we can see things different and hear each other and not go, you're wrong, man. You're wrong. What program is that? Because uh, <laughs> this one. <laughs> yeah well and i guess the way the program's meant to be we don't always do a great job of yeah yeah hopefully we get to maybe we get to that level of maturity where we can do that but uh it's it's it can be rough and tumble sometimes yeah uh so with a lot well to that point i guess with a lot of things in this uh and in, in our fellowship i'm sure there was some controversy behind this uh particular ip uh as there is with most things that end up being approved like you said man you, you brought it up earlier you said you don't have any recollection of many people even uh referencing this ip or using it i guess what do you think its validity is going forward is this is this a tool that we're missing out on because we don't look at it or is it something that we've kind of outgrown and you know, what's kind of your outlook on that? Well, I think it's the way you'd introduce your podcast uh, at the beginning. You say, this is just one of the tools in your toolbox. And there are some sponsors I'm sure that use this and find it really effective. I think the problem that I have had with it is that it, it, it tends to lead to a diffused focus and just too much, like the thing you just quoted about your assets, write a pair, you, you, it took you five minutes just to say the list of, of, of assets. Now write a paragraph on each one of those. And I just go, the guys that I sponsor, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to expect, you know, some of them, some of them will just sit down and write forever, but, I want it. I want it crisp. I want it focused. I want you know the verb, and the fifth step is we admitted. I want to be having it admit stuff, and um, so I'm looking for a sharper tool, you know, to uh, to get that done and not to be so diffused and to have you end up with this massive writing project on your hand. That's my objection. But the content is beautiful, the, as we've just de- demonstrated. I, I agree completely. Are you a uh... Let's talk, let, let's uh, use, uh, what is it? A lot of people say 18 words or less on this resentment or this this topic that, that we're talking about. Let, or basically, let's just get to the point. Uh, because like you said, <laughs> it doesn't take a paragraph to really admit something. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I do that. I, I, the four-step guide that I have developed and that I give to my sponsees does do that. It, it, tell, it, says, it, it says, I don't, I don't want aimless biographical musings, autobiographical musings. <laughs> I want you to write specifically about this. But on the question of am I one of those kind of guys, um, this is by far the longest podcast that you've ever recorded, I think, unless you chopped them up. <laughs> and so your first hint about am I a pithy, crisp speaker uh, and require that of others is, is what happened here today. No, I'm not like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. This will break a record. It will be the longest um, episode that we've ever had. But I'm excited about that, man. That's I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, and and I think um, some of what we talked about earlier about my fears and insecurities is a lot of reasons why I cut them short because I feel like I run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I run out of questions to ask. And uh, I just want to tell you that you turning the tables and asking me some questions and taking some of that, that um, stress off of me uh, was a great help, and I and I can't thank you enough for for doing that for me, man. And I really appreciate you. And you don't know how much that helped me. And I think uh, the people are really going to get something special out of this episode uh, for you doing that. And I, I appreciate it, man. Well, thank you for that. And and I love you, Mason. It it didn't take me long to love you to listening to you on here. And when I came and met you, and we hung out in Nashville. It sealed it, so you're stuck with me, buddy. And, I, and hopefully, you, hopefully you could feel that uh, in the way that I responded when you uh, when you called me about this. I feel the same way, and I look forward to seeing you some more in person too, man. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we get together at the at the world convention and spend some time together because I look forward to it. I'm all sure. Right. Are you all signed up and all paid up, man? Room, flight, register. Registration, it's all done. Me too. I'm, I, I'm already. It's like okay, now let's just get there. Yep. <laughs> it's we gotta, we gotta wait too many months now. I'm looking forward to it. Why you bring that up? So I might as well make this announcement on here. February first through the fourth, Double Tree Hotel in Decatur, Alabama. Out of the darkness, into the light. Our areas, North Alabama area of Narcotics Anonymous. That's our convention. Uh, this is number 26, and we have got one heck of a lineup uh, for people that's going to that's coming to speak and, and and do workshops. And some of them have been guests on this podcast. If you're in the area or anywhere around, and you want to experience a a smaller, tight knit, intimate convention, come down and see us, and we I'd love to see you there. And if you want more information, you can just use the contact information at the end of this podcast and get in touch with me. And if you need information on rooms or anything like that, just let me know. Uh, yeah, and it, we're excited about it. It's been a lot of work winning. This is my first year on a convention committee. So uh, hopefully the wheels don't fall off. <laughs> but no, it's going to be great and looking forward to it. Well, I'm on a convention committee too, so I'm not, I'm going to also do the shameless plug thing if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the Rio Grande Regional Convention, and it is just what, what you described. It's a smaller convention, 
it's gotten kind of big where we we're hitting around you know 600 people or so for the saturday night extravaganza but uh, i'm saying big in in small convention terms but it's still a very intimate convention uh put on by a really mature uh na fellowship and uh when i say mature i mean there's the, like a, a a core of mature members and then of course there's always it's a always newcomers and remember we're the home of breaking bad so our newcomers are more interesting than yours i think yeah so <laughs> come come and come see us it's in september i don't remember the exact dates but it's in albuquerque this year and uh, rio grande na.org is the is the um our region's website so look us up and come see us yeah, that would be. It's funny you said Breaking Bad. I was watching Breaking Bad before I got on this podcast tonight. Still one of my favorite series of all time. Yeah, I when be living in in New Mexico and ha in Albuquerque, where most of that was filmed, and yeah. having uh, our meeting. There's two of our meeting places that had uh, meetings that that they use for the making of that. And one of them was that whole thing where Jesse was always going to group and they were sitting around in that group. It wasn't really an NA meeting in that case. It was kind of a, you know, a, a group, but, but uh, we got kicked out of our church where we have our uh, nooner meeting for that, for the filming of that episode. Wow. <laughs> one last thing. I can't stop. I can't stop Mason. One last thing is uh, if you watch reruns of breaking bad, and you're watching that last episode where Walt is 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 gone and he's he's in a car someplace on the east coast and he's about to head back to New Mexico and he drop he, I think he dropped he goes for his keys and they fall on the ground or something and he bends over and there's a close up of a set of keys and on that set of keys is an NA key, key tag. tag yep yeah, we have some members of the fellowship who worked on that movie and and planted a little NA key tag for those of us to enjoy that watching that. He actually stopped at a gas station and dropped his keys. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I remember that episode. I, I loved Breaking Bad. Uh, that's Thank one of you. my favorite. Are you good? No. I was want to make yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's it's like when Travis is saying, "Can I read the? Can I read the?" Um, the step now yeah now you can give the closing yeah so in closing uh thank you for doing this ron and uh, like you heard in the beginning and in case you like to fast forward to the beginning which i don't blame you if you do uh this this episode goes out in the memory of tina s and and mike r and you know uh hopefully we do a good job of representing what they uh what their legacy was and what they leave behind and you know i only hope to help as many people as as my sister did and you know uh, they live on and through us you know much like my father and other members of this fellowship that has passed that people share you know things that they did and what they did or, or things that they said and experiences that they had and you know it allows them to live on so uh, grateful for the lives that they had and the influence they had on me and grateful for all you people listening and uh, we will be back next week with another IP and another guest 
And that's all we got. See you then. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.